The other day I got into the car and I instantly felt off. My husband was in the driver's seat and I could feel myself getting antsy. Not because of his skill driving, I'll tell you that, but something was going on. I could feel my chest starting to constrict and inside my mind, it felt like there was like a WWE wrestler, like someone like The Rock that was kind of punching all of my thoughts so they couldn't connect. They couldn't join each other into anything coherent. And I just felt the tension increasing in every single part of my body. I was sitting there trying to figure out what was going on until I just hit that button that opened the window. I was hot. I, it was striking, actually. It was striking how much my entire being started to shut down from just the simple experience of getting into a car that was too warm. I mean, I've always been susceptible to heat. The story goes in my family that once when I was a young child, I had my snow pants and my snow jacket on. I grew up in Canada, it's cold. And we went to the grocery store and we're walking down the aisle. And I kept saying to my mom, I'm too hot, mommy, I'm too hot. And as a new parent, I can understand how you just try to you know, shift your children's needs to, you know, meet the situation. I mean, we're probably only going to pick up one or two things. Of course, they could deal with, you know, walking through two more aisles in their snow pant and their snowsuit. But the chorus, the story goes of me saying I'm too hot continued until my mother looked back and saw that my snow jacket was at the far side of the aisle few steps further towards her was my snow pants. A few steps further still were my actual pants. And a few steps further, she could see me taking off my shirt. There I was in just my underwear in the middle of the grocery store. And I had said declaratively, I was too hot. It's amazing how these very basic bodily realities have the capacity to completely disrupt our capacity to deal with a situation. I mean, I usually don't get undressed in grocery stores. I usually am able to figure out what's going wrong with me, but when I got in that car, everything just didn't work. Maybe you've had an experience like that. When something was so disruptive, when something was so challenging that you couldn't figure out how to deal. It's why many mental health professionals use the acronym HALT to figure out the most basic needs of an individual they're working with. HALT standing for hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Because they know, like that Snickers commercial, that you're not yourself when you're hungry that we're not ourselves when we're tired, that we're not ourselves when we're lonely, that we're not ourselves when our bodies don't feel safe. And so it goes to say that we are not ourselves in the middle of a pandemic either. 
that we're not ourselves when we're being gaslit by our president, that we're not ourselves when we're afraid that the most basic, the most human ways to cope now carry the cloak of sickness and death, that we are not ourselves. We're not able to access our full range of possibility. Those wrestlers in our minds are boxing out our thoughts that might help us to metabolize what is going on. Because we are asked to metabolize so much these days. And I use that word intentionally to metabolize because we truly do take in to our very beings, into our bodies, our hearts, our minds, our souls, this world that we are a part of. We take it in and have to break it down, separating the nourishing parts from the parts that do us no good, moving it through our various systems, through our heart systems, our mind systems, our body systems, which of course are not separate, but are one. We are asked to metabolize so much and at such speeds these days. Our bodies, didn't evolve for this. I mean, truly, our bodies, which come from that slow evolutionary process that brought us from primates to the beings that we are today, our bodies didn't evolve us to be able to deal with the world of constant social media. Our hearts didn't evolve to be able to take in the pain of the world, the whole world, and have that pain be at our fingertips. Our bodies didn't evolve for the frenetic speed and pace of our 21st century, whiplashing us back and forth between knowing and unknowing, between hope and despair, from the reality and fantasy, from truth and fiction. It is hard in these days to find that space in between underwhelmed and overwhelmed, that space of truly being just whelmed. For as Adrian Marie Brown says, we are living in impossible times. And being human, it is too easy to tip over the edge into overwhelm, even in normal times whatever that means, normal. Our bodies didn't evolve for this 21st century life, but they did give us some very interesting and important survival skills. Did you know that inside our brain, there are kind of three major systems? I had a whole version of this homily in which I talked about reptilians controlling the Bush family, but I took that out. And so suffice to say, I'm just going to talk about reptilians for a minute. But anyways, within our brains, there are kind of three different systems. At the most basic is what they call the reptilian brain, the rip reptile brain. It's this brain stem. And that's the part of our brain that regulates the most basic of functions. It is constantly looking out in the world, trying to find the threats. Think of it as the lizard searching its environment for the bird that is going to eat it or take itself out. It's the type of part of our brain that asks the question over and over again, am I safe now? What about now? Is that safe? What happens if I do that? 
And then moving up, we have this part of the brain, which is kind of the mammalian brain. And this is the brain where our feelings and our emotions exist in. It's the kind of instinctual brain. And it's the brain that constantly asks this question, am I connected? Am I loved? And then we finally have this top part of our brain, this rational part of our brain that is where complex thinking comes in. It is where we ask the question, what can I learn from this situation? What neuroscientists are learning more and more about these three different brain systems is that when we are in a place of overwhelm, when we are struggling to cope with a situation, that our brain kind of shifts gears. It shifts down. So as more and more stress mounts up in our lives, we move from accessing all three of these systems and we downgrade to two. And then we downgrade to one. That most primal brain, that brain that is constantly asking, am I safe? It actually is the brain that has the most control over our basic or everyday lives. It's sort of like when we get stressed, our brain decides that instead of using Windows 7, it's going back to DOS or moving from a PS4 to Atari or from your smartphone to, um, I think they're called punch card computers. I saw them in a museum once. But it is actually sort of true, that conspiracy theory that the reptilians are in control of the world because at a most basic level, they control us from this place within our brains. For when we don't feel safe, we feel we predispose ourselves to move into this fight, flight, or freeze space, hypervigilant, shutting down those other parts of our brains. And the amazing thing is that it can happen so fast and without our even knowing it. I mean, truly, when I got into that car that was so hot, which is such a meaningless example to bring in, and I do that intentionally, I felt those parts of my brain shutting down, my brain shifting gears, moving to that most primal, that most basic space of how am I going to survive this? And maybe that is what our country is struggling with now, too. Our country has shifted to its most primal brain, the brain that deals in fear of survival of our own, of that disconnection from each other so that we can move through the storm. And I wonder how we, not only in ourselves, but as a country, find our roots to safety. What I love about the concept of roots to safety is that it invites us to consider that all behavior is but communication. Not always perfect communication, not always skillful communication, but communication that is saying to us, there's some need, some desire within me that I am trying to resolve. It invites us to consider that each of us is doing our best to try to find our way to safety to try to find our way home. The roots to safety model is useful for me because it talks about, you know, each of the eight roots, there's three kind of categories. Some of the 
deal with our internal capacities, stuff that we can do by ourselves. Some of them deal with our relational capacities that we need other people to regulate with us because regulation is a team sport after all. And some of it deals with that external world, that world in which we have to build together our capacity to know and to feel safe. But what I also love about the model is that it invites us to consider that difference doesn't equate deficient. That just because you and I find safety in different paths, in different routes, that neither of us is deficient. And I say that intentionally because so many of us carry a lot of shame for the ways that we seek safety. When we have to retreat into our own worlds or soothe ourselves with sensory inputs, our differences can be confusing and they can be inconvenient for each other, but they are not deficient. The ways that each of us have learned to find safety are valid, even if we can do it more skillfully. Because the truth is that even though our bodies did not evolve for this 21st century world, they did evolve to find in the rhythm of each other's breath calm. In the soothing pleasure of dance and music, a space of flow. In moving our bodies slowly or quickly with intention or abandon, a sense of groundedness in ourselves. You are here. We are here. In this moment where possibility and transformation conspire. You are here. The invitation for us is to find practices that allow that lizard part of our brain, that reptilian at the base of our brainstem, to feel safe enough to let our whole self be here. Creating the spaciousness in our nervous system that Resma Menekin invites us to practice so that we can do the hard work, the work that courageous love calls us to be. Because if we are constantly reacting, if we don't have the inner fortitude to take on the challenges worth working towards, the challenges of racism, the challenges that are pulling this country apart, if we don't have the inner fortitude and our lizard brain is constantly saying we are unsafe, that fragility that many of us who have white bodies live with, because our world is suited to keep us comfortable, right? We don't have the fortitude to wade into that uncomfortableness, to have practices that say to that lizard inside, you're okay, you don't need to fight, you don't need to flee, you don't need to disassociate, you can stay here because here is where transformation happens. If we don't have that stamina, the work before us will not be able to be done. For justice in the streets requires an inner stability to encounter the challenge, the challenges that make us feel unsafe, even if we are in fact safe. We just need to practice. 
my sister got the nickname early in her life, Whaley Kaylee. It's not a very nice nickname. I think it came from my grandmother who had zero capacity to deal with anyone's crying. But when I, she was about three, apparently, and I don't remember why, when she was crying, I would turn to her and say, what does a lizard say? And she would look at me straight in the eyes and start sticking her tongue out back and forth. I don't know why this happened. <laughs> I don't know why this practice was developed, but what it did in some way was bring her back into the moment, into connection, into an experience of her body, which helped calm the inner turmoil. This is the work we have to do with each other. To find a way to ride the wave of whelm so we can stay in the work so that our lizard brains don't fight or flee so that we can be in the work together. Not braced, but broken open to all that we do together. Amen and blessed be.